This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Jessica Chastain and James McAvoy play a couple who are trying to reclaim the life and love they once knew in The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby. In The Homesman, starring Tommy Lee Jones and Hilary Swank, a low-life drifter helps a headstrong woman cross the frontier after she rescues him from hanging. Both movies are available on demand now. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The art house is now in your house. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. And this week on the show, Matt and I kick back and let our highly sophisticated podcast bots do all our work for us as we review, or really they review, the new sci-fi film Automata. And as a sneak peek, here's my podcast bots review of Automata in binary. 01010000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 0110000, 
available on demand, which it will be on February 3rd. So by the time this podcast goes live, it is The Overnighters from director Jesse Moss about how a group, it's basically about Williston, North Dakota, uh, which is a small town in North Dakota that sees the arrival of all of these men who want to work uh, thanks to the oil boom out there, are, have come looking for jobs, particularly uh, jobs that don't require any, you know, skilled background. They don't care if you have a felony, might not even care that you are a sex offender. So a lot of people who are like very desperate for work. And it's about a pastor named Jay Renke who takes them all in because this town is so small that the housing prices there actually rival New York. I happened to just go look on Craigslist before this. Oh, really? Just to see. Yeah. And right now, a two-bedroom apartment is running you about twenty-two to twenty-five hundred. Wow. In like a small town in the middle of North Dakota. I mean, that is kind of comparable to New York. I, I know. Wow. Yeah. So, imagine you don't have anything. That's the reason that you've shown up in this town. Right. You can't afford you can't to afford put that. down money. This to is get. the place you go when you have no money when you're desperate. And then you show up and yeah, you can't and you afford can't, to live anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So all of these men are, you know, sleeping in cars, desperate for, to find places to live. He offers his church as a place for all of them to sleep and lets more people sleep outside in the, in the parking lot. Um, like a just, short term, almost like a halfway house yeah, or something basically. where until you can get on your feet and get a job, you can exactly. stay here. And uh, they literally, the guys are all just sleeping in cots and on the floor in yeah. all of the rooms of the church. The members of the church are not necessarily behind this plan and they start to object more and more as do the people in the community who don't like having a group of men that they don't know all suddenly staying in their area. I'm going to go out there and try to find an oil rigging job. I'll find a job within an hour or two, they said. People with 10 felonies is getting 100 grand a year. New playing field with new opportunities. This may be some point of hope for everybody. I thought I could come out here and if I worked hard, was a hard worker and knew what I was doing, then I'd get a job pretty easy. I'm seeing now that it's not that easy. I can't afford to live. I'm just at the end of my rope. All through this, Jay Renke is this fascinating kind of, he's like, his his acts of charity have this almost kamikaze quality. Mm. At one point, he takes a man into his home with his family and his children, including his teenage daughters, who you learn is there because he's a sex offender. Right. And there are acts like that where it starts to push, like, at, at one point, you you admire him for really embodying Christian charity in a way that you know we're saying like I am this is part of my faith is that I help people yes and it's not always going to be help in a way that's easy you know sometimes you have to help people who are not the most like you know like sunshiny and easy to uh to to offer assistance to on the other hand you are scared for him all the time because you you kind of feel like. <laughs> you this doesn't do end well. It's yeah. not going to end well for him. Uh, and I, it is a really kind of phenomenally uh, complicated and and really all encompassing doc. I think it, it brings in some themes of like the American dream. Uh, it brings in a lot of themes of just like what happens to you when you have a bad history and like how easy is it to actually overcome that, you know? And then it has a, a kind of last third act. I don't want to call it a twist that seems weird in a doc, but it has a third act development that also makes you rethink a lot of the motivations that have come before. 
I've had so many conversations about this movie and it's the kind of movie that you want to talk out with people afterwards. So that's available on demand on February 3rd and I highly recommend it. Give them the name one more time. It's called The Overnighters. Yeah. I, rec- I recommend that one as well. It's very, very interesting talk for yeah. all the reasons you said. Um, also new on demand and now available is Why Don't You Play in Hell from mm. director Shion Sono, who mm. is a, a kind of cult favorite Japanese director. He made Suicide Club, X Day, the movie about haunted, p- possessed hair extensions, you may remember. Love Exposure. And Love Exposure, the epic like four-hour movie about Christian faith and upskirt, upskirt shot, pa- like photo shots. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he calls this one a quote-unquote action film about the love of 35 millimeter. And it's about a group of would-be filmmakers who get caught up in a massive Yakuza war between two different uh, groups. It won the Midnight Madness Award at Toronto in 2013. Uh, I have not seen it yet. Shion Sono, it certainly has like a unique mind. And when he wants to have like just the craziest things happen, it happened. They happen in his movies in a way that can be really pleasurable. So that's one I am really looking forward to check out. It's called Why Don't You Play in Hell? And it is now available on demand. And available on demand on February 6th is a movie that also sounds a little nuts, intriguingly nuts. It is The Voices, which is the fourth feature from Persepolis director Marjan Satrapi. And her second as a solo director, her first two films were made with Vincent Perrineau. And it stars Ryan Reynolds as a mentally ill factory worker and generally chipper person who has gone off his meds and has started hallucinating that his pets are talking to him. His cat keeps telling him to become a serial killer. His dog is the voice of reason telling him to remain good. And it also stars Anna Kendrick, Gemma Arterton, and Jackie Weaver, among others. And I'm intrigued. How could you turn down a description like that? So that is The Voices, and it is available on demand on February 6th. Right, so our subject on Q shots, robot movies. Robot movies. Like, movies where people talk in robot voices. Does not compute. Let's just keep this going, please. Allison, do you have any general thoughts about robot movies? No, I think other than that, I think we both tried to steer clear of the titles that maybe are the that first come to mind. So things like sort Wally. of a general rule we yeah, try to do anyway, general, but yeah. But it's also it's funny that some there are some very iconic robots out there in the movies. Amongst like, the most iconic movies yeah, ever, really. Like Wally, uh, AI, AI, Alien. Yeah. I don't ever. It's funny. I mean that the aliens, the xenomorphs in Alien, are so evocative and frightening, and such a great bit of character design. But the the kind of the the androids in the series are underrated as underrated. movie robots go and also very kind of frightening and uncertain qualities themselves yeah right even Throughout. prometheus which wasn't a great movie i thought had Fassbender a really is good so good yeah in it. had a great robot in, in michael fassbender's david right and so their agendas creepy. are always a little off yeah. and they're part of the reality of humanity in the in the movies but 
you're, right. they're always a little uneasy as a presence. And that's what makes them so great as characters in general, not just in the alien movies, right? Because they are that, you know, oftentimes they look very human, but they're, their motives, as you said, can never be trusted. You know, are they really here to serve us or to serve man in that Twilight Zone way where they're going to cook us and eat us, you know, that kind of <laughs> thing. It's like that, that 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 they are us but are not us or they're created by us, but perhaps our creation may turn around and destroy us. There's something really very richly paranoid about right. robots in movies. And I do think that my favorite robots in movies, or I'm always very interested in seeing robots that feel genuinely other and genuinely alien. Yeah. You know, we do a lot of robots that a lot of stories about robots where it's about the glimmers of humanity in them, like mm -hmm. that they are mirrors in which we want to see ourselves. Right. But it is, I think much more interesting when they are utterly inhuman mm -hmm. when they do not share the same priorities. Yeah. You know? It's also kind of fun too. Cause like the other thing that they often do is have the, the robot who's discovering his humanity and it's such a beautiful journey. I kind of like it when it's sort of like the robot becomes self-aware and becomes just like, <laughs> screw humanity actually human and becomes <laughs> horrible and mean and vile and I, I think even about i mean i do th the the scene the early scene in ai in the pool oh yeah you know and yeah, also yeah. just the idea that this that this robot has been created to be this child robot but is too needy you know is not will never grow up is not like is this kind of attempt to capture a slice of humanity without the larger picture and how ultimately off-putting uh, his owner finds that. Yeah. And I, that's so interesting. Like that's such a great disturbing storyline in that movie. Which Neither of us is recommending that one, but <laughs> maybe we should have, cause it's a very rich I, film. If people yeah. haven't seen AI, it does a lot about having characters that are likable and sympathetic and that you invest in, but that are also off. Yeah. That are missing certain qualities that we would say would make them human right. in ways that I, that I really like. It's definitely a better movie than either of the movies I'm recommending. <laughs> but again, we tried to pick the more off to, the beaten yeah. path. We want to recommend some stuff people might not have seen. Yeah. Well, let's get started. What's your first pick, Matt? All right. Well, as I've often said on the podcast, as I often do on the podcast, I just sort of use it as an excuse to catch up with things that I've been meaning to watch. So my first pick is a movie called Hardware, which I've been looking forward to watching since last year's Fantastic Fest, which is where I saw this documentary called Lost Souls or Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau, which is this very entertaining film about the making of the very infamous 1996 version of uh, Dr. Moreau with Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando. And... This guy by the name of Richard Stanley was originally hired to make the movie, but very quickly the whole thing became a nightmare. He was eventually fired. He was eventually replaced by John Frankenheimer. And it's a great doc with some fabulous anecdotes about crazy Marlon Brando and how insane he was to work with. And Richard Stanley is interviewed in it quite a bit, and he comes across as a really likable guy. Uh, maybe he was a little out of his depth, but it, it, it's, uh, he comes across pretty well. And it made me curious to see his other stuff because I hadn't, I've never seen any of his other movies. And the one he made before Dr. Moreau that really put him on the map was Hardware, this cult horror sci-fi movie that's based on a British anthology comic or from a story from the British anthology comic 2000 AD. That's the same comic that Judge Dredd comes from. And I've never read the story, but it definitely captures the vibe of the stuff from that book that I've read or just generally kind of like British adult comics of the 80s. 
It's got a lot of cool visuals, crazy ideas, graphic violence. There's a little sex in there as well. And it has a, it's just this fun world, great character designs. And I don't know. I honestly don't know, but I have a suspicion that some of it may have been conceived under the influence of mind-altering <laughs> substances. That's just a guess on my part. And I didn't love the movie, but I will say that watching it for the first time last night really reminded me of something I would have gotten a huge kick out of if I had seen it on Showtime at 1.30 in the morning on a Friday night when I was like 12 years old. I would have thought this was a really cool movie. It all takes place in this post-apocalyptic future. Uh, most of the world is like this irradiated desert and when it begins, we follow this scavenger as he finds the remains of this robot, and then the robot falls into the hands of this soldier played by everyone's favorite Dermot Mulroney, Dylan McDermott, <laughs> who buys the robot head for his girlfriend Jill, who does these like art sculptures with kind of uh, ruined technology, and she likes it a lot. Unfortunately, after she turns the robot head into a sculpture, it turns out, wouldn't you know it, this robot wasn't actually totally dead. It's some kind of experimental prototype for a self-repairing genocide bot. And once it's inside the apartment, it wakes up and it starts murdering people. Did you find it? Glass flats. June C. I'll go all over. I'll give you 30. 40. 50. Is that all right? I know you'd see it my way. Merry Christmas. Uh, Allison, if I'm, if I'm being brutally honest, I have to say watching Hardware, and I did enjoy it for the most part, it didn't shock me to sort of watch this and then go, oh, this guy got fired from a gigantic <laughs> Hollywood production. Like, it didn't shock me. It's not a masterpiece. It's messy and strange and weird, off-putting at times. You know, it's 94 minutes long, but even at 94 minutes, it feels kind of long. It takes a while to get going. I didn't really care about the characters. But what it does really well is it, it does build a kind of awesome sci-fi world with these Mad Max-style wastelands with blood-red skies. Uh, the city that most of the movie takes place in has these highly fortified apartments with automated security systems. And the robot itself is awesome. It's this really cool, monstrous design that's kind of catch-as-catch-can made from all these different parts. It has this inhuman skull that's painted red, white, and blue. I, I really enjoyed all the stuff. Once the robot finally gets to, gets to killing people in really gruesome and graphic ways, I was like, this is, you know, this is what I wanted. It's, a, it's just a grungy exploitation movie that's really well-designed for what I'm sure was a, not a lot of money. Again, it, uh, unlike AI, this is not a deep investigation into what it means to be human or what it means to be an artificial intelligence at least as far as I took away from it. It's just a solid genre movie, but on that basis alone, it's streaming on Netflix. I think it's worth checking out. Again, if you are a 13-year-old or a 13-year-old at heart, this could be something to watch late at night on a, on a Friday night. And what I, probably what I'm genuinely saying is, like, find that documentary, Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. I don't know where... You can find it, but if you hear it, if it shows up on Netflix soon, if there's an opportunity to catch it, you should check that out because that doc is great as well. So this is Hardware, directed by Richard Stanley, streaming on Netflix. All right. Well, my first pick is also a Robots Killing Humans movie. I think it's going to be fine, a theme. It's a fine genre, fine genre. It is. Um, though it's, uh, it, it, it's a slightly maybe more classic one than that one. 
it is Westworld, which is available for rent on multiple different platforms. This is the 1976 movie, which is written by and the first film to be directed by novelist Michael Crichton and really foreshadows another dinosaur centric franchise of his that is still going strong and, you know, is adapted from his work. And like like that franchise is about how people have come up with this incredible, really groundbreaking technology and put it to the use that we all would were we to come up with such things by using it in an amusement park. Uh, in this case, one called Delos, which is broken up into three themed worlds that are meticulously recreated. Uh, they meticulously recreate the past. There's medieval world where there are castles and feasts and princesses. There's Roman world where it basically says it's like all orgies all the time. And there's Westworld, which is set in the Old West. And for a mere $1,000 a day, you can spend time in these worlds. Uh, their perfect illusion is maintained by a team of technicians behind the scenes and a team of robots in front of it, all looking perfectly human, except for their hands, which they haven't quite got down yet. So this movie, I'm guessing, takes place in Roman world. I kind of, I, I'm a little intrigued by Roman world, I'll have to tell That's you. That's where we would pick to go if we could, right? I mean, that, it sounds the most kind of <laughs> naughty, certainly. Uh, no, I it's guess like it starts. The movie starts off with that commercial for Delos, and the woman who's, coming ba who's come back from Roman world is like, I like the men. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, but more about that in a second. The film follows two vacationers, Peter, played by Richard Benjamin, and John, played by James Brolin, who in this movie particularly shares a weird uh, resemblance at times to Christian Bale. It's interesting and a little, uh, never something I thought about before. But they go to Westworld to shoot some robots, have sex with some other robots, and generally raise robot-enabled hell. Uh, and then, of course, uh, especially if you've ever seen the Simpsons episode inspired by this, you know that things start to go wrong. And there's a malfunction that spreads that causes the androids to rebel, to refuse the guests' orders, and to eventually hurt and kill them. And Peter and John get chased down by the gunslinger, who they've already shot twice for fun, played by Yul Brynner, the great Yul Brynner, who's basically playing an evil robot version of his Magnificent Seven character, Chris Adams. Um, and interestingly, I, I did think of Automata in, w when uh, looking at this movie. At one part, one of the technicians says, in some cases, they've been designed by other computers. We don't know exactly how they work, which is basically a sentiment in the movie we will talk about later. There's a clear pattern here which suggests an analogy to an infectious disease process spreading from one resort area to the next. Perhaps there are superficial similarities to disease. It's only a theoretical concept. There are many ways to order that data. I must confess, I find it difficult to believe in a disease of machinery. We aren't dealing with ordinary machines here. These are highly complicated pieces of equipment, almost as complicated as living organisms. In some cases, they've been designed by other computers. We don't know exactly how they work. One of the things that's such a pleasure about this movie is that the worlds that you pay to visit are basically movie genres. Um, and this is not always a read that I find that interesting on movies, but I think it works really well here. You're basically paying to visit a sword and sandals movie, a medieval epic, or a Western. And when the robots rebel, and the robots are never given interior lives, uh, they are robots, uh, and the movie <laughs> emphasizes this by always having shining lights in everyone's eyes so that they look kind of blank and lit from within. Uh, the robots basically go method. They act the way real, people might as opposed to people who've been trained to obey every guest order. 
the serving girl in medieval world does not uh, does not agree to sleep with the kind of grabby guest. Uh, the the gunslinger who's been shot twice is not fond of being shot and killed twice, and actually tracks the people uh, the people who did it down. And uh, this is it's only really a ninety minute or so movie, and I think the end is really. The end is mostly a prolonged chase that takes one of the characters from Westworld into Roman world. And in some ways it resembles a kind of thriller horror version of the end of Blazing Saddles. <laughs> like there is this like crossing of the worlds and yep. like breaking down and going behind the scenes that uh, is pretty great, especially after having set up how the world of uh, Westworld works and what you're allowed to do, which is basically everything. Uh, it does, I, I enjoy this movie a lot, but it does leave so many themes that you want explored. There are so many questions you have, which is one of the reasons I'm really excited that there is an HBO series that's being made. Yes, uh, I was going to mention Jonathan that Jonathan Nolan, um, Christopher Nolan's brother, and Lisa Joy with Anthony Hopkins, Evan Rachel Cass Wood, is insane. Ed I was Harris, just looking at yeah, Tammy Newton, and many others Jeffrey in there. Jeffrey Wright, Evan Rachel Wood, yeah, Rodrigo Santoro. I mean, it's a, a it's great, a great cast. cast. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I this is a really enjoyable, very kind of 70s-ish movie. Uh, and I mean, one of the things that is pleasurable about it is that it, it keeps so kind of closed on its focus. It's people go to Westworld to, you know, basically act out, or people go to all of these worlds to act out, uh, to take advantage in the various worlds of, it's kind of implied Westworld is where you take advantage of mostly getting to be violent. Uh, medieval world is where you get to take advantage of ordering people around. And uh, and Roman world is where you get to debauch yourself, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it, it, you almost want, I mean, among the many, uh, there's a nice simplicity to the story of how it goes, but you do kind of want to know more and more about about these aspects. So uh, it's it's still a movie that I think, as silly as it can seem sometimes, is so it it most of it holds up very well uh, and and is still very enjoyable. But it's also a great starting point that you can see someone building a larger property out of, and it seems like they will. So I am looking forward to that. It's Westworld in the meantime and is available for rent on multiple platforms. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that HBO series. That, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I haven't seen Westworld in a long time. I've seen it once. I think I was probably in high school or maybe college. And actually, if you hadn't picked it, I was going to do it because <laughs> I wanted to revisit it, too. I was curious how it would hold up. I was wondering. And it because like, they are doing a right. this it remake like it's a lot series... It's a lot of chase. Like it's a surprising amount of chase. Yeah, as I remember it, it sort of starts with a lot of just kind them of in world building, world but then building, it's pretty then much the just just yeah, them like getting go wrong running away from the the gunslinger. Away. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, as you said, I think that a, a television series, a mini series, however it's going to be, will definitely give them more ground to. It's a good property for that. It, you know that it's a it's an idea that's rich enough to sustain a, a series. So hopefully that it'll be good. All right, let's get to my next pick. First of all. Let me just say that uh, I'm sure we people think of iconic movie robots. One that uh, probably comes up for a lot of people is the Terminator. But, I mean, come on. Anyone can recommend the Terminator or Terminator 2. It takes a real hero to recommend Terminator 3, <coughs> Rise of the Machine. Something in your throat, Allison? No, not at all. Okay. Please continue. Which is if now available to rent on Amazon and iTunes. The film came out in 2003, and while it does have Arnold Schwarzenegger back as the Terminator, it does not have Terminator franchise creator James Cameron back. He decided not to return for this third installment. Instead, the film is directed by a gentleman by the name of Jonathan Mostow, 
who was sort of an uh, up-and-coming director when he got this gig. He was coming off these two back-to-back acclaimed thrillers, Breakdown and U571. Uh, his career after Terminator 3 I never really came together. I was looking at IMDb. I was like, whatever happened to this guy? Hasn't done a ton of stuff. His most recent feature was 2009's Surrogates, which is actually another uh, movie about robots. Not right. a, Not a very good one. I never saw that one. Yeah, you're not missing anything. I'm not recommending that one on the podcast. But, and w- but w- with the caveat that it is not as good as Terminator 1 or Terminator 2, I... I'm going to recommend Terminator 3. I do think it's a good movie, and I think uh, Jonathan Mostow did a pretty good job directing it. It's not, you know, it's not James Cameron directing it, but there are some really effective action scenes in this movie, particularly this car chase in the beginning of the film where the new evil Terminator, or Terminatrix as she's known, this female robot played by Kristana uh, Loken, is chasing John Connor, who's now played by Nick Stahl, and Kate Brewster, who is supposedly in the future as his his second-in-command in the war against the robots, or as Arnold calls her in the movie, Catherine Brewster. Uh, and they're being chased, and the Terminatrix is in this giant truck with this crane arm, and the crane arm is swinging around. It's knocking over cars. It's crashing through buildings. It's a fantastic chase scene. It's a great, great scene. They, I can't imagine how much money they spent just on this one scene, destroying cars and buildings and stuff. It looks, it looks fantastic. My CPU is intact. But I cannot control my other functions. You don't have to do this. You don't want to do this. Desire is irrelevant. I am a machine. The main complaint that you will often hear about Terminator 3 is that it basically undoes and upends the ending and the message of Terminator 2, which is, spoiler alert, where the heroes prevail, the future war between man and machine is averted, and the message is kind of, the future is unwritten, and make of it what you want, right? And Terminator 3 is essentially the opposite. John Connor learns that there's no stopping Judgment Day, they can only postpone this war, That and the movie is generally about destiny and the inalterable nature of fate, And that's not necessarily a belief I subscribe to. And I do think it is kind of a little obnoxious to take James Cameron's message and then completely... There's a lot of garbled mythology in this franchise, though. That's true. (laughs) Well, this was sort of the start of a lot of garbled mythology. It's hard to argue that it's not a betrayal of T2, which is a movie I love. But I think the movie on its own works pretty well. And I do like the big final twist in this film, which pushes the Terminator franchise towards like the Planet of the Apes franchise in terms of being very fatalistic and dark. And I, I love the Planet of the Apes for that reason. I love a really dark and cynical sci-fi franchise. And I, that's, I mean, maybe it's not faithful to the spirit of the old Terminators, but there's something about the nastiness and sourness of the ending um, that I like. But come on, let's be real for a moment here, Allison. That all that stuff's irrelevant. Why do I like this Terminator movie? Why do you like this Terminator movie? Yes. Though so, that's a question. I'm asking you a question. Why? I'm answering you with a question. Uh, how I, I thought you knew me after all these years. Apparently Arnold I Schwarzenegger. Don't. Oh yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. And specifically, what I find so interesting about this movie is that it came right at the tail end of his I guess now first career in Hollywood. It was the last major thing he made before he became governor of California. And it came during this period where all of his movies were about these characters who are not nearly as good 
at being unstoppable action heroes as they used to be. So in the case of Terminator 3, this Terminator who looks like the old Terminator is now referring to himself as an obsolete design. And the Terminatrix has all these fancy weapons, and she can, like, turn her arms into laser guns. But he was an obsolete design in the second movie. He never refers to himself that way at all. But he refers to the new Terminator as superior, technologically superior. But he's basically... Uh. <laughs> don't, don't question me. Never question me. Sorry, continue, please. What I was going to say before I was so rudely interrupted was that the, Termin- the Terminatrix, and if you want to say the uh, T-1000 from the last movie did this as well, fine. But the Terminatrix, with like all of these advanced effects, to me, like kind of begins to stand in for this new kind of action movie that is sort of like uh, in 2002 three is sort of on the rise with the machines if you will the action movie where you don't have to be arnold schwarzenegger to be the star that you know computers and uh superhero costumes will do all the work basically for you and so arnold is the way of the past and the, and that there's some sort of acknowledgement of that here uh, there's even a scene where the Terminator performs surgery on himself, right? His fuel cell gets damaged, and he has to cut himself open and take it out, which is, to me, is a reference to Schwarzenegger having heart surgery just a few <laughs> years before this, uh-huh. and he had to replace a faulty heart valve. So that's what I find the most interesting. It is this guy who's famous for playing an unstoppable killing machine beginning to acknowledge that even unstoppable killing machines get old, which to me is is deeply, deeply profound. Mm-hmm. So... Not as good as the first two movies, but better, I think, than its reputation. So I would say watch it and maybe combine it with some of the other movies from this period, which are also very, don't have a great reputation, but I think are very interesting. End of Days, Collateral Damage, The Sixth Day, any of those. Make it a double feature. Get the full, obsolete Arnold experience with Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, which is currently available for rental on Amazon and iTunes. And Allison has never given me a more skeptical look in her entire life. All right. Well, let's move I'd on. I call to it side eye, but you're looking directly <laughs> at me. It's straightforward eye. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's move on to my second pick, which is Terminator a- Salvation. I'm available guessing. to stream on Hulu. Okay. It is Ghost in the Shell, the 1995 anime classic from Mamoru Oshii. Two things I will say about the version that is on Hulu, though. It's dubbed, and given the choice, I will always pick the subtitled version. Though Ghost in the Shell is defined by like long stretches without dialogue at all. So I don't think it hurts it as much as a more dialogue heavy, maybe less meditative movie uh, might be hurt by that. And secondly, it is the 2.0 version, which is the 2008 re-release in which Oshii uh, made an updated version where he revamped some of the 3D animation that was incorporated into the original. Basically, he George lucas it, uh, though... I don't think it really hurts the movie in any way, but if you are a purist and want only the 1995 original, know that about the Hulu version. Either way, this is along with movies like Blade Runner and The Matrix, which uh, was inspired by this film in a few ways. Uh, One of those kind of seminal films about getting philosophical about human nature and the line between it and robot existence and intelligence. It's based on the manga series by Masamune Shiro, 
which uh, has also spawned a TV series, a miniseries, video games, a sequel film from Oshii called Innocence that actually played in competition at Cannes in 2004, and an upcoming live-action adaptation from DreamWorks that Scarlett Johansson will star in. But the original film is set is, is animated and is set in a world in which almost everyone's brain has been given cybernetic implants that allow them access to online networks, uh, but also makes them open to potentially being hacked, uh, in which case they can be made to do things they think is their idea, like in the case of this story, assassination, uh, and they can be given false memories. Um, people can also have cybernetic implants or full bodies, which is very expensive, but can give you enhanced physical abilities. And that's the case for the main character of the series, Major Motoko Kusanagi, who works for a government security division called Section 9 and whose entire body is cybernetic. The only part of her that's human are the organic parts of her brain and what characters in the show call their ghosts, which is like their souls, basically. And the plot is this complicated one, given that it's a relatively short movie, a very complicated one, involving government corruption, rival divisions, a neighboring country that's current recently overthrown its government, as well as a mysterious hacker called the Puppet Master that they've been chasing for a long time and that no one really knows any personal details about. But the tr true inquiry, beyond like the visuals of this, which are really striking, I, it's set in a city that's based on Hong Kong and uh, also has some really incredibly staged action scenes, uh, including ones in which characters and machines can be cloaked in these uh, thermo, basically invisibility device cloaks that um, render them mostly invisible and kind of the shimmer. But uh, it's really uh, a story about that philosophy, about where the line is between enhanced humans and very advanced technology and where that can blur. And uh, I, I think that it does a lot with this, particularly in the case of the main character who is who constantly wonders about her own humanity as someone who has like almost no, who is mostly robot at this point, wonders at what point, maybe and wonders if she like actually died a long time ago and <laughs> is just a robot who believes she is this human or or if it's more complicated than that, or if it doesn't even matter. Sometimes I suspect I'm not who I think I am. Like maybe I died a long time ago and somebody took my brain and stuck it in this body. Maybe there never was a real me in the first place and I'm completely synthetic like that thing. You've got human brain cells in that titanium shell of yours. You're treated like other humans, so stop with the angst. But that's just it. That's the only thing that makes me feel human. The way I'm treated. I mean, who knows what's inside our heads? Have you ever seen your own brain? It sounds to me like you're doubting your own ghost. What if a cyberbrain could possibly generate its own ghost, create a soul all by itself? And if it did, just what would be the importance of being human then? The movie does some interesting things with that, particularly in, I mean, it starts off with a, a site not unknown to anime, uh, in which there is gratuitous, apparently gratuitous nudity. Uh, and then the opening credits show the character's body, that same body we've just seen, being repaired, you know, being broken apart into and like being reassembled. And suddenly you have this thing that was potentially sexualized now being made into parts in a way that is, I think, a really interesting reversal of the idea of the body body is like this object of, of, of sexual desire. It's machinery. It's just very expensive machinery that needs to be maintained. And 
it's a really moody and kind of chilly movie, but it's one that tackles some giant themes in a way that uh, I, I think is hard to shake off and that it is animated allows it to allows it a bit of leeway to kind of have characters directly talk about these themes and have it not feel as heavy as it might if it's live action. And that's something I kind of wonder about is in adapting this for live action, mm. is it going to look a little like, oh, uh, this is this is a crime story in which like a cyber crime futuristic story in which characters stop to talk about the nature of existence every once in a while. But who knows what that will look like. I did want to address quickly, you know, there were a lot of complaints or when Scarlett Johansson was cast about being like, oh, Major Motoko Kusanagi is being played by Scarlett Johansson. Yes. I mean, I suppose you can make the argument that she is a cyborg, so she can look like whatever she wants. Even right. in the in this film, you are shown evidence that she's a basic model, that she has chosen like a kind of... Uh, she sees versions of herself on the street that she there's nothing you know and so there's no particular there's no necessity to like for her to be any race i suppose but yeah this is a japanese story with a character with a japanese name and it's so very set in asia like it's uh, it's about kind of relations between these various asian countries in a lot of ways i do kind of wish that they had not just gone ahead and cast such a white actress, but what can you do? Such mm. is Hollywood. Um, and in the meantime, I would definitely say check out the original. I have no idea what they're going to do with it when they eventually remake it. I think in 2017 it's due to come out, but the original is still a great movie and a very haunting one. And you can find a version of it on Hulu and I'm sure the, the subtitled one elsewhere if that's what you prefer. But the version that's on Hulu, Ghost in the Shell 2.0, and you can check it out, I believe, for free. The serial numbers haven't been erased. They're all intact. Can we track them down? In fact, it has parts of other units which also keep their serial numbers. Crappy job. Quite the contrary. This is a very sophisticated job. I'd say it's a clocksmith. Although it looks like he wasn't concerned about hiding the origin of the parts. What about the bio-kernel? <laughs> it's had a shot in the head. The bio-kernel's fried. Well, it was sort of a surprising result, I thought, in our Listener's Choice poll this week. Alison, if I'd had to guess, I would have expected Spike Lee's Kickstarter film, The Sweet Blood of Jesus, was going to win. Really? I what thought I, Wetlands was going to win. That's what I thought. But actually, Spike came in last place with about 15% of the vote. The remaining 85% were split between Wetlands and Automata, which went back and forth all week when the polls closed at noon on Monday. And remember, you got to get your vote in uh, by Monday at noon. Eastern, Eastern time. Or it doesn't count. Yeah. At this point, Wetlands, if you look right now on the website, Wetlands is in the lead. But that's it. we don't count yeah. those votes we also uh, we we had a few people say oh that this sound feels like it might be cheating or something i mean all i can say is it's actually it's really not hard to cheat <laughs> like it's we we have to just trust that you know we did a little looking and it didn't seem like it, there was there was obvious there yeah. was no obvious cheating yeah right and you know we, we're doing this by the honor system right so guys so we got to trust that people are voting no. on what they want so it's Automata from director Gabe Ibanez, set in the year 2044 after 99% of the world's population has been killed by 
Allison, were you paying attention? Do you remember what it was? Solar flares. Very nice. It was indeed solar flares. The survivors live in a ruined world dominated by robots, which were initially created to build these walls that would protect humanity from the radiation. But now robots do all kinds of things, from acting as servants to providing sexual services. It's kind of like Roman world. Our hero in all of this is one Jack Bacan, or Bacan. His name is pronounced about 50 different ways in this movie. (laughs) He's played by Antonio Banderas, who is an insurance investigator for the company that builds and maintains all of society's robots. He's called in on a very unusual case involving a robot's murder that ultimately leads him to discover a wider conspiracy involving the robots gaining sentience and attempting to evolve. Now, the robots of Automata are kind of like the ones in the Isaac Asimov robot novels, which I loved as a kid and read. And much like those robots, Asimov's robots, which did get an adaptation a couple of years ago with Will Smith called iRobot, which is not terrible, um, they're governed by these laws. The first law in Automata says a robot can never harm any form of life, and the second says they can't alter themselves or others. So my question for you, Allison, or two questions. Did Automata break its own laws? Did this movie harm you, (laughs) or at least bother, annoy, or bore you? And if you were permitted to violate the second law, and you were able to alter this film in some way, what is the first thing you would do? Ooh, interesting. Well, yeah, I would say I it bothered me in that... It It did bother you. This movie bothered me, yes. I was not a big fan of this movie. I think it, it... offers up some very interesting imagery and ideas but doesn't really know how to follow through on them it kind of rambles along it gets a little incoherent i think it it has some very obvious uh sources that it draws from there are times where it feels very blade runner there are times where it feels very irobot there are times where it feels very dark city even i think Mm -hmm. in the like yearning to go to the coast that they keep they keep doing uh i i mean i think that it is in that way it seemed to me a kind of reminder of how strongly these movies are lodged in popular culture that it can be difficult to get away from them Mm. i don't think that the filmmaker here set out to make a movie that felt like a mashup of like of better known ones but that these kind it, it can be very difficult to make something that feels like it does go to new territory particularly when you're covering these ideas about robots evolving and robots kind of breaking free from being you know like part of the uh, being being subservient to humans etc etc um i i think that if i could change something i think i would just kind of wish that it had more coherent world building Mm -hmm. i think that it does a lot of setup in the very beginning and then it has a kind of direction that it knows it's going to, but so much of the middle is just them in the desert. It's just like this long, agonizing, like desert road trip where characters just yell at each other. And yeah. it just feels like it's going nowhere in particular. And it's it's a much more interesting movie in the city. And I think it's a much more interesting movie when it touches on some of these many ideas about about humanity dying and about like and about the the original purpose of the robots versus what what they've become. Yeah. But I don't know. Do you agree? Did you we're, like this we're movie? almost on the exact same page? <laughs> yeah. I I think I might have enjoyed the setup a little bit more, maybe because I am kind of a sucker for these sorts of robots and the rules of robots and 
it is very similar in setup to the uh, Asimov robot novels, which were all detective stories. That's the thing. They were about these robots with all these rules, but they were always a mystery that was being investigated that was seemingly impossible, like where somehow the rules were broken and it was up to the detectives to figure out how did this happen. And in this case, it's a similar thing. It's like, well, this robot was killed because it was seemingly repairing itself, which should be impossible. How did that happen? And I think it's an interesting idea. And I liked sort of the the world building of the early scenes in the movie. Going around with Antonio Banderas, who I thought gave a pretty good performance. Yeah. At least in the beginning of the movie where he's sort of playing this kind of... Where his character is more together. Yeah. yeah. And just sort of a hound dog, kind of just sad. Just, just, yeah, it just seemed very believable to this world. This guy who's just can't... He hates his job and he's just sick of it. Now, the all the stuff with his wife... I, I, that to me was totally a waste and it really never went anywhere other than giving him this sort of thing in jeopardy. It didn't really, I didn't really understand if he liked his wife or I his didn't child. Either. And that actress, uh, it's Birgit Sorensen who's on Borgen. If you've ever seen that TV show I and it's like very, she's got like a really good role in, in Borgen okay. and it, was, it made me kind of sad to be like, you yeah, are literally a human pawn in this. In yeah. This movie. I th- yeah. That was all pretty, pretty disappointing. But I mean the stuff with the robots, the way they look and the design of them and the 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 the, the, the practical effects and the, the, I guess some maybe some digital effects as well, but the the look of of the world, which as you said, is very reminiscent of other movies. But I think it's well executed for what must have been a pretty small budget. But if you're talking about, to me, what's the one thing that has to change? It's like, boom, right off the bat. I don't want them to go into the desert, and I certainly don't want them to spend 40 minutes wandering the desert so in this sequence that goes on and on and has serves no point whatsoever. No it really seems like the filmmakers had this r- genuinely interesting idea. Now, maybe it wasn't the most original, but fine. They have a good idea, and I don't know if either they couldn't figure, like they couldn't write themselves into an interesting mystery, but the mystery is basically abandoned. Yeah, it's a non-story. It's a non-story. The ultimate resolution is just, well, X. This is what it is. And there's no explanation for why X is. It's just this, it just stated matter-of-factly. And and I don't know if, again, this was a matter of budget, maybe, that it, that, that it was expensive to do all that world-building so that they just spent half the movie in the desert where they could just film in the desert but my goodness what a what a i I mean if you had asked me 20 30 minutes in is this a good movie i'm like absolutely this is it's a interesting little sci-fi movie and then if you'd asked me after 60 minutes is this a good movie i've been like it was a good movie for 30 minutes and it just it completely lost me and 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 it doesn't even obey the rules that it set up i don't know if you felt this way the whole thing about the robots is you know they can't harm uh, a human being right and they and these robots now they're evolving potentially but the robots even say we cannot allow you to do this because it would you would die it, while they're wandering in the desert he wants to go back to the city and see his wife and child and whatnot and the robots that he's with on this journey are like we can't let you do that because that would be harmful to you and you would die and so they do these various things to help him survive but they also say that this desert is highly radioactive yeah and they're bringing him deeper and deeper into the radioactive part because they want to go. They're kind of like, we're done with this, right? Like it's all pursuing their own ends. Yeah. But if their point, if they, if we take it, what they say at face value and they can't let this guy die because it would violate their program. Right, they should not be keeping him. They there. should not be yes. keeping him there. Yeah. 
I know it doesn't, and that's forty minutes of the movie. I know it doesn't make a lot of sense. Doesn't make a lot of sense. It really doesn't. And also, I mean, I don't remember they set up this idea that there's the wall and it keeps these other people out, right? Yes. Yes. And they never really go into that. Like, well, it, the wall is there to keep the radiation out, right? But, but there also are there are people who, beyond the wall. There's like a shanty town outside the wall. Yeah, that's not who really are clear those either. people? Like, I why do they not know. get to come in? I didn't. I didn't like, get that either. <laughs> Right. There, I, yeah. I I'm mean, not there, really it, sure. it felt like there was so much more to do in the city. And then, yeah, maybe they ran out of budget or something where they're like, oh, that's all the city we can afford. Like, let's go. Right. I was out so baffled because, I mean, like, and th- th- it all starts with this. He goes to visit this uh, robot scientist and that leads to a car chase. And somehow the car chase culminates with him being in the, the middle of the, the desert. desert. I know. I know it's very weird. It's very strange. And then once they get there, you're going, okay, well, they're going to now go back or they're going to go somewhere else. But yeah, I, 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 it's, it's really this, it's a strange thing. I'm, I was totally, I, I was absolutely baffled by that choice. And, and it is a shame to me because I thought this movie had a lot of promise. I get like within the first 15 minutes, I was like, oh, I totally understand why the movie got some good reviews and people, you know, I heard people say, well, you know, if you like robots, you like robot movies, you like the Asimov books, you might like it. I, cause I was into all that stuff. And again, I think, I think Banderas is, you know, gives a, a good performance here. And I feel like he hasn't gotten to do a lot of interesting stuff lately. And it kind of made me feel like he's being underserved. He's being undervalued. And there's, there is something for him to do in Hollywood. I don't know what that would be, but uh, th- you know, I, I felt like, at least as a calling card for him, the first half of the movie, I think, does a nice job. Yeah, and I think that there's something there's something neat about how this feels foreign. Like it's a it's a Spanish movie, basically, and that it, it feels it, it feels like it comes as much as I've just talked about how it it's definitely got some obvious like it's got some obvious touch points that it draws from pretty heavily. It does also feel at least a little off kilter in like coming from a different source than someone than Hollywood basically right and that I, I mean part of that is just because it's indie and part of that is also just because it feels like it comes from a slightly different sensibility and there is something to that there was I, something to the early robots in the movie that I liked how the they almost it seemed almost the way they were designed they, to look deliberately pathetic you know yeah well and, and when and they're like being killed or like they're broken they just had these like puppy dog eyes well there's that early scene of like a self-immolation yes and it works really well because the robot it has so few kind of emotive qualities that it there's something very so, sad yeah. about that but then later on they start to sort of again it's about this artificial intelligence evolving and they start to make a big deal of like their different faces. And a lot of the, the models we see in the later movie, like they take off their face and reveal another face. Right. And which they is talk, even less and expressive. They speak more like people. Yeah. And then it, yeah, I just didn't really, I don't know the, the, the way that they kind of like reveal their faces to show this like inner face seemed to me like it was meant like some sort of like grand dramatic thing. And it, to me, like the 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 earlier designs were a lot more interesting, right, or and dramatic it, even than right. the later ones. And if ones. the point the point is to kind of be like, we don't need to look so human, like we Correct. don't need you anymore, we don't yes. need to do this for you anymore. But it does in the course it, for the movie. But they're not serving, that striking. I know, and serving the movie, it it does less for the movie when they yes. do not have those yeah. faces. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I don't think we have much more to say about no. this one. It was a disappointment. It was a disappointment. I really wanted to like this more. I it did started too. off really well. Uh, I like I say. said, like the first 20 minutes of this movie, 20, 30 minutes, like take that part out and it's a it's a solid movie. Unfortunately, 
there is another hour or so after that that I was pretty disappointed by. But maybe just watch the first 30 minutes and then write your own second and third act. See how that goes. That might be a good way to watch it. Uh, this was Automata, which is currently streaming on Netflix. All right, it's time for Singer and Wilmore's completely concise and totally succinct new release roundup. Not a ton going on in, in movie theaters last weekend. I did see Project Almanac, which is not bad, actually. The time travel film produced by Michael Bay. Surprisingly not terrible, I would say. I, I don't know if I would tell anyone to rush out to see it. But, you but know, for a January release. For a January release, surprise. Yeah, and for one that was delayed by almost a year, I think. Not bad. It plays the found footage fairly respectably. Doesn't cheat too much. The time travel, eh, there's parts that don't make any sense. But you know what? I, I give it some uh, I give it some leniency because I kind of liked the message of the movie, which was a little more moral and serious than I expected it to be. So, that's, you know, not, not, not so bad. Now, Allison hasn't seen much because she has seen a lot of non-new releases or future releases because she was at the Sundance Film Festival last week. I was. It was, what, 60 degrees there? It was lovely. <laughs> we had a blizzard in New York. I was walking around. And you Sundays, were walking around Park like City, holding Utah. my coat. I was not wearing the coat. I hate you so much. <laughs> hate you so, so much. But it seemed like just from a distance, a lot of good movies at the festival this year. It was a good year. year. It was a yeah. pretty good year. All right. So give us like three, three favorite films. Okay. Well, first off, let's talk about the favorite, the kind of it managed to win the dramatic grand jury prize and the audience award and was sold in one of like what had one of the biggest sales and has the worst title and the worst description. It is me and Earl and the dying girl. And it is about a teenage boy whose mom makes him befriend the girl in his class who is dying of leukemia. And uh, despite all of this, it's actually really good. It's, uh, it's just joyous and sad and really energetically directed by Alfonso Gomez Rejon, who is a regular on American Horror Story and also did that recent remake of The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Uh, here are some, I, f I will tell you a few things about it, Matt, that I think make it lovable. Like one, the ma two main characters are obsessed with kind of classic films and they make puns off of the titles and then make kind of silly homemade movies mm -hmm. of those puns, like a sockwork orange featuring socks. A riff on the Terminator. Oh, exactly. Um, and at one point when a the main character is being kind of bullied into writing a college essay, he starts it off by doing in the voice of Werner Herzog doing an impression. It's actually a pretty good one. <laughs> and... It's not a romance, mm -hmm. which I think is good, given that we've seen a lot of teen, or we've already seen a major teen cancer romance. Right. Uh, and it's it's got some really kind of virtuoso filmmaking, including just in a very early and not even that showy shot, the scene in which he's made his mom, who's played by Connie Britton, bullies him into calling this girl to ask her to hang out, and then when she doesn't agree to go over there. It's done in one long, really nicely choreographed take that goes like through the first floor of the house and then up the stairs until the main character is like rolling around on the floor, agreeing, getting like it, like giving up in submission, uh, agreeing to go over there. So it is. Uh, it sounds really twee for for many reasons, but it's you had absolute, me at Connie Britton. I'm absolutely in. charming. Nick Offerman is the dad. He's like a is the main character's dad and is like a professor who spends most of his time cooking international food, weird international food, and feeding his children. 
there is so much that's very likable about it. It's uh, it was like the most pleasant surprise. Also, movies that I liked, uh, The Wolf Pack, which is a documentary about a group of six boys, brothers who grew up in the Lower East Side and whose kind of hippie father refused to let them leave their apartment. They live in public housing or lived in public housing in the Lower East Side. Uh, so they spent almost all of their time just in the apartment growing up and they would, <laughs> in, in a recurring theme in Sundance, they like to reenact their favorite movies, including Reservoir Dogs and uh, The Dark Knight, using props that they build themselves because they have to entertain themselves some way. They're homeschooled by their mom. It's a movie that, it raises a lot of questions, I think. Like there you kind of there are times where you wish the director had pushed a little harder, but they are amazing subjects and it is a really disturbing but kind of beautifully framed world that they've created for themselves. Uh and then finally I wanted to point out The Witch, which is uh, you know, most horror films in Sundance end up in the midnight section, like most most film festivals. The Witch actually got a place in the main competition. I think for good reason. It's really this gorgeous period horror movie about, it's set in 1630 and the main characters are a Puritan family who are living in this farm by the edge of a woods and it draws from all of the folklore and kind of fears of the time and so it it feels almost like when you watch a foreign a foreign horror movie that draws on specific local local ghosts and monsters and beliefs because these are such old fears about witches and kind of what witches do and what, but also uh, because a lot of their fears are just also Puritan dread. Like one of the things that happens early on is a child goes missing and beyond just the grief and fear they have over this missing kid, they're also so afraid that this, the child isn't baptized, the baby is not baptized and that the baby is damned to hell. And that, that's something that has nothing to do with witches and that is just pure puritanism <laughs> and like you're like wow that was a really hard way to live life the the kind of like the constant fear that like or that of damnation and kind of satan a very real presence lurking everywhere around and so th it's like a really creepy horror movie but also a very unusual one and i liked it a lot so those are three and uh i saw a bunch of others i liked too is there a place people can find your uh, write-ups on these um, films? You can find it at buzzfeed.com slash Allison Wilmore. I think I have one more to do and a best of. So I will have it's all there. All right. Well, let's get to our Behind the Eight Ball segment. It's where we run down three new releases on streaming. We give you two listener recommendations you guys sent us to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com. And we also share one random film chosen blindly by number from our My Lists. Matt, oh. uh, I've done a lot of talking. Why don't you go first with this one? All right, I will. All right, well, three new releases. Okay, first up is the new film from John Favreau, the bold independent filmmaker of Iron Man 2 and Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> uh, I kid because that's kind of what the movie is about, actually. Favreau, who wrote, directed, and starred in this movie, plays Carl Casper, a skilled but unhappy chef working at a fancy restaurant who wants to cook his own innovative food, but his boss, played by Dustin Hoffman, demands he crank out his old, boring, formulaic menu. Eventually, Carl quits and takes to the road, and he rediscovers his passion for his job by striking out on his own in a gourmet food truck. And if it all sounds like a largely autobiographical and thinly-veiled metaphor for an artist growing weary of making big studio productions and yearning to return to his roots as an independent, that's only because that's exactly what it is. There's not a lot of conflict or even really much of a story or stakes. 
But uh, the cast is great. The food is fantastic. It's it looks so incredible. Gorgeous. It's yeah. beyond food porn. This is food snuff films. What's this your favorite? I mean, I just want one of those Cuban sandwiches. Yeah, really. I like the grilled cheese where he like cuts oh, into it and cheese. it like oozes everywhere. Oh why are you God. gonna tell? Why I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. I haven't uh, eaten. Now I'm gonna have to eat something really greasy and disgusting. For I dinner. hope you do. It's no. worth it. Well. That's Chef. That is streaming now on Netflix. Next up, a movie that is a masterpiece that I'm actually kind of unsure is worth watching on Netflix, which is where it's now streaming. That's Lawrence of Arabia, David Lean's 1962 film about T.E. Lawrence and his exploits in the Middle East. Now, Lawrence of Arabia, it's one of the most beautiful movies ever made, and seeing it on the big screen in 70mm, if possible, is always, always worth doing. But it is three hours and 45 minutes long, and I'm not sure how the incredible vistas hold up on the small screen. So I'm sort of doing this as an experiment. I'm letting you guys know it is available. It is a great movie. It is worth seeing. I don't know if you're going to like it on uh, Netflix. But I'm curious. If you try it, if you haven't seen it, if you try to watch it at home, send us an email. Let us know how it goes. I'm kind of curious to find out. La- Lawrence of Arabia on Netflix. And finally, a really exciting addition to Netflix, at least for me, it's Tom Anderson and Noel Birch's Red Hollywood. Anderson is the guy who directed the fantastic documentary Los Angeles Plays Itself, which we've definitely mentioned on the show before, and is also streaming on Netflix. Red Hollywood is originally from 1996, although it's been re-edited and remastered recently. And that's the version, I think, that's new on Netflix. And it takes an essay-like approach, sort of like the one in Los Angeles Plays Itself, to explore the Hollywood blacklist. And the premise is essentially that the men that were targeted by the blacklist they didn't deserve to have their careers ruined, but they were kind of doing what they were accused of doing, <laughs> which is inserting subversive ideas and themes into Hollywood films. So to prove it, Anderson and Birch look at all these different clips. I think there's something like 50, 50 different films that are featured in the movie. They interviewed some of the filmmakers. I've only seen this one time on YouTube, dubbed from what must have been like a really old, crappy VHS tape. So I'm really looking forward to seeing an HD version, seeing the remaster version. This is already the number one film on my my list. I'll be watching it in the next couple of days. That's Red Hollywood streaming now on Netflix. All right. Uh, two listener recommendations. Our first comes from Mario in Glendale, California. He says, I just saw a French-English dubbed stop-motion children's movie called Jack and the Cuckoo Clock Heart. This movie has so many WTF moments that it needs to be seen to be believed. A pregnant woman gives birth to a baby with a frozen heart. Fortunately, Jack is born in the home of an inventor who has a hobby of collecting human tears in a bottle and swaps Jack's frozen heart with the titular cuckoo clock. The heart requires constant winding, and Jack is also instructed that he can never fall in love. This is a rule he promptly breaks when he sees the big city for the first time, One thing leads to another, and Jack is now on the road where he runs into, among other things, or among other people, Jack the Ripper, George Melier, and the cast of American Horror Story Freak Show. Did I mention this is a kid's movie and a musical? As a unique oddity, I can't recommend this Tim Burka, Laika, Yellow Submarine mashup any higher. As a bonus, I may have inadvertently steered my kids away from hallucinogenics for life. (laughs) So that's... Jack and the Cuckoo Clock Heart. It does sound very surreal. And that was a recommendation from Mario in Glendale. Thank you, Mario. And secondly, we have a recommendation here from Jordan in Joliet, Illinois. 
Hey, Matt Nelson, huge fan of the show. I've written before with some totally smoking hot David Duchovny pictures and found it quite comical that you saw me as a gay man instead of a straight woman. Whoops. Sorry. Sorry. We have a good friend whose name is Jordan, and yes. he's a man. He's so. kind of a he's an overwhelming personality. And yes. kind of obliterates all other Jordans, I guess. Our apologies memory. to Jordan in in Joliet, Illinois, who is a woman, a woman. Anyway, jo- Jordan writes: My boyfriend and I randomly stumbled across the movie Predestination on Amazon, and we rented it. And it is one of the best sci-fi movies I have seen in a long time. It stars Ethan Hawke, and it's a great time paradox story. I think it would be a great pairing with Back to the Future, Looper, or Interstellar. Definitely worth checking out. And that's from Jordan. The woman in Joliet, Illinois. Sorry again, Jordan. Allison, I've been hearing some very good things about this predestination. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm intrigued. I know the whole story. I had it spoiled for me on purpose. I heard it was crazy. I said, just tell me. I'm like you. If it's a crazy movie... Just tell me, because yeah. I want to see it more. And let and me you tell you, like, when I yes. found out the story, I was like, I need to see this movie. Uh, that's that's promising. I like I'll tell it that. to you off the air. All right, excellent. And you're going to want to see it. You'll you'll have seen it by the time we record this next podcast. I guarantee it. <laughs> All right. Uh, one from your My List. You gave me number 50, and this week, number 50 is The Dark Crystal, directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz. The Netflix description says, In this mythical tale, Jen, the last of the Gelfling race... It's charged with healing the crystal of truth after its mutilation sets off an era of terror. Were you a were you a Dark Crystal fan as a kid? I was a Labyrinth fan. You're more of a Labyrinth fan. I definitely saw the Dark Crystal. I don't remember much about it other than it scarring me, being too scary. It was really freaky. What are they what are the birds called? The Skeksis? Oh that? God, I don't remember. The whatever the bird creatures in the last in the, the last <laughs> the dark last dark crystal were scared the crap out of me and so i definitely saw it but it was not one that i really looked at going over and over but f- i i don't know if it popped up recently on netflix or whatever it was that i saw it and i saw it you know what i think i put it on there was there was a great jim henson exhibit at the museum of the moving image yeah. in queens a couple of years ago and i was like jim henson is a genius i want to see more jim henson and i think i looked up at the time jim henson on netflix and i think that was one of the few things that was on there so i added it and I haven't worked up the nerve to watch it yet, but I will at some point. So that's The Dark Crystal, uh, and that's on Netflix. Allison, it's your turn. Are you ready to begin? I'm ready. All right, so let's start with three new releases. All right, first up, new to Netflix, a little movie you may have heard of called The Interview. Um, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's Americans in North Korea comedy has gotten one of the most eventful and weird releases, maybe of all time. You know, its theatrical release was pulled following the hacking of its studio Sony and subsequent terrorist threats. And then uh, the film ended up on VOD and in select smaller theater chains after all. And now, a month after that, it is on Netflix. So much fuss for what's really mostly just another raunchy bromance starring James Franco and Rogan as a celebrity talk show host and his producer who traveled to North Korea to interview Kim Jong-un played by a scene-stealing Randall Park. Hey, guys. I am sorry to interrupt Allison here, but unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties with the recording of this podcast, which I actually didn't discover until I went back in to edit the podcast. And we had some sound issues on uh, the end of the show here and lost a big chunk of what Allison was saying. So she's already gone for the evening, unfortunately, and I want to make sure you guys get this episode uh, in a timely fashion. So I'm just going to run through the rest of her picks here for the 
Behind the Eight Ball segment. Her other new to streaming picks were Memento Mori on Fandor and Obvious Child, the Jenny Slate comedy, which is available now on Amazon Prime. Those are both great. Check both of those out. And for her listener recommendations, she's got two of them. The first one here is from Travis in Fountain Valley, California. And Travis recommends The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears. And he writes, This seems to be the kind of movie one of you guys would like. Personally, I finished it but had to take a break about 45 minutes in to treat my headache. But I came back and finished it and, and then there's an ellipsis here, it is definitely something to see. Shot after shot after shot of, of experimental madness, lots of sex, cutting noises, and other fun stuff. I am sold. Thank you, Travis, for that recommendation of The Strange Color of Your Body's Tears. And we also had this recommendation from Rob. Rob writes in, Hey, guys, I've been listening to you both since the IFC podcast. Thanks for always making such a great show. I wanted to mention a film in light of your last show about docs about filmmakers. John Ronson's Stanley Kubrick's Boxes is available for free to stream on Vimeo. John Ronson is the author of the book The Men Who Stare at Goats, and the screenwriter of Frank, which is based on his own experiences in addition to other works. In the early 2000s, Ronson was invited to look through the thousand or more boxes of the late Stanley Kubrick's archives. In his hope for a cinematic rosebud-like discovery, Ronson comes across some funny and fascinating stuff, like Kubrick's memos on barometric pressure, the search for a specific kind of cat collar, and a great love of stationary fonts, ink, and some very particular box lids. But Ronson also uses his doc to ask great questions of Kubrick's collaborators, like if the maestro's obsessive qualities hindered as much as helped. Plus, Ronson is an engaging narrator who wonders what Kubrick would make of him going through his stuff. I made a pilgrimage to see the traveling Kubrick exhibit, but I found this terrific film in some ways an even more insightful look into the legendary director. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Rob, for that recommendation of Stanley Kubrick's Boxes, which is available on Vimeo. And then for Allison's uh, one film chosen blindly by number from her My List, I gave her number 49, and that film was A Price Above Rubies by Boaz Yakin, a film she hadn't seen, a film I've never seen. I know it has Renee Zellweger in it. I know she plays, I think, an Orthodox Jewish woman. That's about all I know about it. Um, but that was her, her, her random film, A Price Above Rubies. And again, you can stream that now on Netflix. Let me very quickly now run down our three listener's choice options for our next episode. I think it's a pretty good batch. I'm not really sure what's going to win this time either. First up is the film Joe from last year, starring Nicolas Cage and directed by David Gordon Green. That's a great pairing. It's a combination we love. Allison and I both big fans of Nicolas Cage, both big fans of David Gordon Green. And so I think there would be plenty to discuss here. The obvious choice for a theme would be a Nicolas Cage cast, but I think we did that, if not on Film Spotting SVU, then maybe back on the old IFC podcast. So we'll have to think of something else. Maybe we could do a David Gordon Green podcast. That might be interesting as well. So that's option one. That's Joe that is streaming now on Netflix. And I, let me just read the plot description very quick, quickly. When ex-con Joe, that's Cage, hires 15-year-old Gary, that's Ty Sheridan, to help clear trees for a lumber company, he doesn't expect to become a father figure for the abused boy. So, Joe on Netflix, that's option one. Option two is a little bit different. We are going to do, if you guys pick it, obviously, a sort of survey 
of the Amazon pilot season that's going on right now on Amazon.com. Uh, as Amazon prepares new television shows, um, what they tend to do is they put all of their potential pilots up on the website for people to check out, to rate, and review, and they take that feedback into account as they decide which shows to greenlight. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven shows, at least for adults. There are a bunch of shows that are sort of more kit-oriented. We would skip those. But if you guys pick this option, we would try to cover as many of the adult pilots as we could. We would definitely get to some of the ones that have been getting more attention, including The Man in the High Castle, which is a Philip K. Dick adaptation. It's it's gotten a lot of good reviews already. It's based in an alternate universe where the Nazis won World War II, and so the United States is now, several years later, it's run by Germany and Japan. Uh, we would also definitely cover Mad Dogs, which is the new pilot from Sean Ryan, who is the creator of The Shield, and that has uh, Romany Malco and Steve Zahn and Michael Imperioli. That's about a group of 40-something friends, I'm reading the description here, who gather in Belize to celebrate the early retirement of an old friend uh, when a series of wild events unfold, exposing dark secrets, deception, and even murder. I've read some good stuff about that one as well. And we would try to cover as many as we could. If we could cover all of them, we will. So that's option two, a little survey of the Amazon pilot season, again, on Amazon. And finally, our third option, also streaming on Netflix, is the recent Chilean film, Gloria. Let me read you the plot description of this one. An aging divorcee looking to fill a void in her life begins a romance with an ex-naval officer, but baggage from the past may derail the relationship. The film didn't get a huge amount of attention, but the reviews it got were almost all really, really positive. And I know a lot of people really praised the movie for presenting something you don't see a lot on, on screen, that sort of that aging divorcee character, that older character is uh, is too often overlooked. I know that something that was interesting to both Allison and I, we thought maybe, you know, films about maybe that demographic could be a potential theme for that episode as well. So that's option number three, Gloria, streaming on Netflix. So which movie or television pilots should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to svu at filmspottingsvu.com or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, February 9th at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu, and you will have all that week to watch the film or TV series, and then join us for our conversation on the next episode, which should be on or around Tuesday, February 17th. filmspottingsvu.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The Film Spotting SVU Remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review or television pilots review you pick. In the meantime, though, you can follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore, at Matt Singer, and at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice. That's where we share more streaming suggestions from you guys, the SVU listeners. And for Film Spotting SVU, for Allison Wilmore, I am Matt Singer. Thanks for listening.